We're so glad you joined us. Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Do you ever feel like your life is spinning out of control? I do. Several times a week. Does it ever seem like life is random and meaningless? Do you ever think, man, evil seems to be winning? (laughs) The dark side seems invincible. China's going to conquer the world. Iran's going to launch nukes. North Korea, too. Why were four University of Idaho students' lives snuffed out senselessly the night of November 13th? A world out of our control. 700 years before Jesus was born, God showed the prophet Micah the future. Micah prophesied, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. Messiah would be born in a humble town. He would be the ruler of Israel, Micah says. His human beginning would be Bethlehem, but his actual origins would be from eternity. Wow. Backwards. Yeah. Fast forward 700 years from Micah in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, Caesar Augustus, probably the greatest Roman emperor. He was the first Roman emperor. He's considered one of the greatest rulers of all history. He allowed Roman cities to set up temples to him. He was worshipped as a god. People would go to the site of the, the emperor's worship and bow down to him. And this guy, considered one of the greatest rulers ever, who accepted worship, put into play, unknowingly, God's ancient plan to rescue this seemingly meaningless world where evil seems Mm. invincible. Caesar Augustus issues a decree for a census of the entire Roman world, which meant that every person in Rome, in the Roman Empire, had to go back to their ancestral town to be counted, which meant that a young guy named Joseph would have to go back to the home of his ancestors in Bethlehem with his bride Mary. And Mary, she was expecting the promised Redeemer, prophesied by Micah 700 years ago to be born in Bethlehem. Do you see a plan here? Do you see a purpose here? And there, Jesus, the true king of the world, not Caesar Augustus, not by a long shot, the only one worthy of worship, he was born, born to die so that death would be destroyed. No, world's not random, meaningless, out of control, Because God is working his purpose out. Your life is not spinning out of control. My life is not spinning out of control. We have a God who is connecting the pieces, not just through a few years, but over the course of human history. His plan is in play. His plan cannot be stopped. His plan cannot be thwarted. Our lives are not out of control. Yeah. There's a story behind the story. And this has just really been a theme for me recently, the story behind the story. So like there's what's actually happening, the facts going on, which are 
Yeah, Caesar Augustus said everybody's got to go back home and, you know, take, they've got to do a head count here real quick. <laughs> that just seems so unconnected to what God might be up to, yeah. you know, and yet here in this detail of a very worldly leader, mm-hmm. you know, in government, God's working his purposes out. Yeah. And when things happen in this world and, you know, we just see it from a, a human perspective, yeah. you know, how can good come out of that? We got to step back and say, God, God has been doing it all the time. He's been raising up evil leaders all the time, you know, to do his bidding. And to say, okay, I see the facts. Like I see what's directly in front of me. Like I just got this diagnosis. That's the facts. Mm -hmm. But God, what are you doing? Like what's the story behind the story that you're up to right now? Yeah. How are you? What story are you writing that's redemptive? The deep shadows of the world have already started to fade in the resurrected body of Jesus and in us who are filled with the resurrection life of Jesus. Do you know that you have new creation living in you? Do you know that the new creation has begun not only in Jesus, but in you? And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And among those billions will be you and me and Caesar Augustus. And he and you and me and everyone else will confess Jesus is Lord. I can't wait to hear that thundering sound and to be able to to say that willingly, joyfully, because, you know, everyone's going to say it, even those who don't want to say it. Mm-hmm. They're going to see and they're going to realize he is the king and the principalities and the powers and the evil spirits of the world. They'll be saying it too. Every creature under heaven, Jesus is Lord. And from that day on, you will never again think for all eternity, my world is spinning out of control. And because of that day, you don't have to think that on today either. hope so. I hope it's a happy Christmas season to you. But, you know, we're in December. And I think one of the things that makes December hard for some folks is that December is hard. (laughs) You know what I mean? That the holidays are supposed to be happy holidays. You know, they're supposed to be happy Christmas. It's supposed to be perfect. And, you know, with uh, the family gathered around the tree and the fireplace going and, you know, it's all nostalgic and beautiful and good. But the holidays are hard for a lot of people. And if you're in that right now, like you're, you want to be happy. It seems like everybody else is happy and you're the only one who isn't happy. I want you to know you're not alone in what you're going through. And I mean that like on several different levels. First of all, the enemy would want you to think that you're the only one who's feeling sad and having a hard Christmas. And that's absolutely not true. So as you go about your day to day, you're going to run into people who are having a hard day. And they're wrestling with the holidays. So I know it's hard right now, but what would it mean for you to just know that you're loved and to say, because God loves me, I'm just going to, I'm going to be a little bitty light today. Mm. You know, I might not shine super bright. I'm just going to bring a little bit of joy. 
to somebody that I encountered today. I'm just thinking of somebody who needs a, who needs a hug today. Yeah. When my oldest daughter moved out of state, took her first job, it was, it was a difficult season for her employment and there was a lot going on. And so the intern was like not at the top of their radar. Here she's in this new location. She knows nobody and everybody's fixed on something else. And she just got lost in, the, lost in it all. And one morning she was doing her quiet time and she was like, Jesus, I just need a hug. I just need a hug. And she was in the copy room making some photocopies and a volunteer, a gal who is retired and a volunteer came in and was running some copies and they had a, they'd never met before. They had a brief conversation and she grabbed her papers and she was about to leave the copy room and she turned around and she looked at Bryn, my daughter, and she said, would it be okay if I gave you a hug right now? (laughs) Ah, you just have no idea the impact your little light could have on somebody today. So shine. We are preparing our hearts for Jesus this Christmas, and I've got a, I come across an idea that I'm going to go ahead and do on my own, and I just want to invite you to join me. It's reading through a chapter of Luke every day in the month of December. So there just happens to be 24 chapters in the book of Luke. So if you did a chapter a day, you'd get through an entire account of Jesus's life before Christmas. So I was reading Luke 1 yesterday because it was December 1 and the first four verses, well, let me just read them for you. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know this with so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And the message paraphrases it to say, so you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt, the reliability of what you were taught. Hmm. So good. You know, there are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of great opinions about what has happened and what's been written down in scripture. And sometimes it's hard to know who exactly is telling the truth. I'm going to be teaching next week on Luke 2, 8 through 14. So I've been studying the scripture and the story of the angel appearing to the shepherds. And I'm reading from reliable resources. I'm reading commentaries. You know, I'm reading from established and respected Bible scholars and hearing their teachings and listenings. And still there are discrepancies on what they believe. I know this is putting you on the spot, but can you think of like one thing that two different scholars looked at differently, have looked at differently. One of those discrepancies like... Yeah, one of them is um, that the shepherds in the fields nearby were likely um, working for the priests because they're, this is like within a, a radius of where people brought sacrifices and they had to have lambs. And I mean, you had to sacrifice like a lamb a day or two lambs a day and, you know, for your sins. And so they always had to have yearlings available for sacrifice. So there are some scholars have said that it's likely that the angel would have appeared to the shepherds who were caring for the sacrificial lambs. Yeah. And there are other scholars who say, maybe, but we don't have any evidence that shows that that's what, you know, that, that, that specifically the territory where the angels would have appeared would have been two shepherds caring for the sacrificial lambs. Yeah. Well, at least that's not 
something like a deal breaker for the whole truth of the story. Right, right, right. It's just, you know, trying to put pieces together and understand more of what's going on, which I'm all about. Yeah. (laughs) Love that stuff. Yeah, you want to get into that world, you know, so you can understand it better. Right. But I also don't want to share something when I'm teaching that, you know, without saying some scholars believe this, there's some pushback. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Because I want to be trustworthy in yeah. what I'm sharing and know that it's founded. Well, good. I'll come and listen to you preach then. <laughs> All right. But there are a lot of, you know, biblical stories come from a lot of different places. You can even, I mean, just, I think it was two days ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and came across this fascinating story about the manger scene. And, you know, I'm reading through it and I'm like, this is wild. This is amazing. All the detail, like, yes, this makes sense. This would be God. And then, so I dug into it because I wanted to know, is this accurate? Is this true? What was the claim? The claim was that the manger itself would have not been made of wood, but would have been made of stone, which I think is likely true because everything was built in stone. And if you've been to Israel and you've seen, you know, they didn't make or, you know, create things with wood as much as they did with stone because there's so much stone in that area. The temple was all these big blocks of stone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that the major itself could have very well been made of stone. But the claim on Facebook was, or the story was that priests who were caring for the sacrificial lambs would take a newborn lamb and wrap it tightly in cloths and lay it in the manger so that it couldn't wrestle and, you know, it couldn't hurt itself. It couldn't do any damage. It had to be unblemished, right? So this is, but then the sacrificial lamb had to be a yearling. You can't wrap up a lamb for a year. You know what I mean? So there's, there's actually no evidence that lambs were wrapped in cloth and laid in mangers. For a year. Right. (laughs) Okay. But it's a great, you know, if it was true, wow, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the sacrificial lamb laid in the manger, the sacrificial lamb coming and being laid in a manger. And maybe it is. We just don't have proof of it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So all this to say, you know, people have different ideas about how things go down. And this must have been true back in the day when Luke wrote this gospel as well. He's saying, okay, they're, you know, how they shared stories was verbally. They would tell the stories. They it weren't even written down at this point. So he was saying, all right, here's the deal. I take copious notes. This is just the kind of guy I am. I'm gifted at organizing detailed information. So I am going to carefully investigate everything from the beginning. And then I'm going to write an orderly account for Theophilus. Why? So Theophilus could know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the reliability of what he was being taught. I want to be like Luke. I want to be that way. I want to strengthen and bolster my own faith by, you know, learning of the Lord from resources that are trustworthy, you know, and some of those are just, I mean, literally being in God's word and doing the fact checking, right? It, the word of God is the most reliable resource that you can read about who he is. So get into God's word, 100%. And then secondly, like Luke, I want to be a part of participating and strengthening the faith of others. He said, I'm writing this to you, Theophilus, so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you're being taught is absolutely true. I want to be, I want my life to be marked by helping other people to be strengthened in their faith as well. Yeah, me too. And what strengthens my faith is trusting in God when I don't feel like it's mm. true. Or I have been feeling insecure in, in my relationship with God and just going to God's word and trusting it. 
blindly, you know, not in the sense that this never happened. And I don't believe this is historical in that sense, but trusting God's word in the face of my feelings that tell me otherwise, my feelings that tell me, Oh, you better be worried about your relationship with God, but no, what does God's word say? It is written, you know, mm-hmm. to, to the enemy. It is written for, I am convinced that nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of Christ. And so that's how I strengthen my faith. And then I want to be able to just be that kind of person who points others to just trust, even when, when you can't see it. Imagine being one of those shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem on the night Jesus was born. The night air is cold, so you draw your sleeping mat up close to the fire. You look up into the vast heavens. It's like you can reach out and touch the stars. They're so bright. You lay your head to rest, and the stillness of the night is pierced by a flame of fire with a message. Don't be afraid, but you are. Angels always say that because they always make us afraid. I bring you good news. A Savior has been born. He is the Messiah you've been waiting for. And then fireworks light up the sky, except you don't know what fireworks are. A massive host of flames. Angels fill the sky. They are praising God. It's like ear-splitting crashes of thunder. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward all the peoples of the earth. And just as soon as the thunder and lightning come, it's quiet. You try to make sense of what has just happened. The first thing you whisper is, glory to God. The praises of the angels are emblazoned on your mind. Peace, goodwill to all the peoples. And all you can think is, God is for us. He wants peace with us, with me. He wants to save me. His heart is filled with goodwill toward me. And the angel said to all the peoples, and then you run like you've never run before to see this Savior that has just been born. What a beautiful picture. I am studying this exact story right now because I have the chance to teach on it next week. And just, yeah, the incredible, I think in the familiarity of the story of the Angel appeared to the shepherds that we go, yada, 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 mm-hmm. instead of recognizing, hey, this was, this was an extraordinary experience. I mean, there was 400 years of waiting and longing. And this angel appears to these, you know, the most unlikely group, not to the rabbi, you know, mm-hmm. not to the mm. priests, the humble, but to the shepherds. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. And what the angels said, you know, glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill toward all the peoples. God is for us. You know, once you and I were alienated from God, enemies of God because of our sin. But now we have been made his friends. Now we have peace with God through Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus has removed the barrier between us and the Father, our sins. Our hatred for God has been replaced with love for God because Jesus breathed out for us, bled out for us. Heaven has come to earth in the baby of Bethlehem. Heaven has come to your heart and mine through the baby who grew up to die and rise again 
to make us God's friends. Isn't that awesome that mm-hmm. we we can call ourselves friends of God, you know, that we wouldn't take that lightly, that we would realize that this this barrier, this poison of sin did make us enemies with God, but God did everything he could do to make us his friend so that we could call him friend and can call him friend. Last December, I got a call from my sister that my dad needed to go into hospice care and that I'd better come pretty quickly to California. And so I did. And I'm so glad that I went immediately because my dad was sitting up in his wheelchair. We talked, we had conversations, but as a part of my time with him in my final days with him on this side, we sang and Mm. he hadn't been able to sing. Mm. His lung capacity did not allow him to sing for months. And we sang together, what a friend we have in Jesus. And it was such a sweet moment. And I know sometimes you have to pick and choose whether you're going to be just fully present in the moment or grab a camera. And I just grabbed my phone and started recording the two of us singing together. And I'm so glad that I did because now I forever have captured my dad singing, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. Mm. He's your friend. He's my friend. And Jesus is setting everything right. I know there's a lot of wrong, many things in this world and stuff in your life, but Jesus is setting everything right. Not just someday, but right now he's making all the sad things come untrue. And we get to pass on the peace we have found with God to bring that peace to our neighbors and to the thousands of people groups that still don't know that God is for us. There's a world that needs to know that God is for us. There are people that you're going to rub shoulders with today that need to know that God is for them. Maybe you could say, do you know that God is for you? And do you know why God is for you? That might be a good on-ramp. Mm-hmm. When Jesus comes again, the peace is going to be so perfect that all the oceans of the earth will be like silver glass ponds on a Michigan summer's evening. I don't know if you ever find yourself longing for a home that you've never been to before. I have. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, he said this, We all long for Eden, the Garden of Eden, and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human, is still soaked with this sense of exile. We've been exiled from a home that we were meant for, and we long for it, but we've never been there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it actually makes me think of my daughter, Eden. She was born in Iowa, and then when she was three months old, we moved to Arizona. She has no memory of Iowa whatsoever, but she hears us tell stories of Iowa, and she's... 22 years old. She's never been. And she just, it's on her bucket list. You know what I mean? She's like, I know I'm from there. (laughs) I hear the stories and it sounds so wonderful. I want to go there. I mean, that's just a, a small example, right? But like, yes, there is a longing inside of us for the place that we come from and the place that we belong. And I think, I think we, you know, we try to make that happen here on earth, I think that's kind of what the American dream 
you know, is what's behind that a little bit and wanting things to be a certain way. We have an idea in our head of what paradise is supposed to be like. Mm. And we do what we can here on earth to, to replicate it um, in our own imaginings, you know what I mean? And by our own will, rather than praying the Lord's prayer, like Jesus did and saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven by grabbing onto the kingdom ways and kingdom principles and living our lives that way and pulling them down into this realm. Mm. Yeah. And so we're longing for this place that we've never been before. And Adam and Eve, they were driven out of this place because of their rebellion against God. And I was listening to a message yesterday and, and Pastor Rod said, what if Adam and Eve would have said, Lord, you know, because he came walking in the cool of the day and said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Mm-hmm. Where are you? And he said, what if, what if Adam and Eve would have said, Lord, we, we blew it. We just, we blew it. We, we failed to live up to what, what you called us to be and to do. And, and we just repent. And then Rod goes, we'll never know. Because <laughs> they went and they hid. Right. They hid. They didn't come and, you know, own it. And the big thing about that is that God created us for proximity, for intimacy, for doing life together, for walking in the garden and spending time together. And we pull away because we want things to be the way that we want them. We're the ones who create the distance. We're the ones who hide, right? God shows up in the garden and says, where are you? You know? And I mean, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. I think it's not like God didn't know where they were geographically. I think it was, you know, he was causing them to look at the state of their own heart. Like, where are you? Where are you in your heart? Why are you hiding from me? And it was about relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what went wrong? You know? Yeah, you weren't created for this. You weren't created for hiding from me. Can we, can we make it right? Yeah. That kind of a thing. It says in Genesis 3, after the Lord, the Lord Jesus it was the Lord Jesus who was walking with them. After he drove them out of the garden, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So if anyone wanted to go back into the garden, they had to go through the sword and they would have died. Mm. It would not have gotten back in. And in the Holy of Holies, there was a curtain outside with cherubim embroidered on the curtains saying, you got to come under the sword to come into Garden of Eden, to the Holy of Holies, unless you are the priest and you come clean and pure. And that pointed toward Jesus, who is the one who, who was perfect, who was uh, qualified to go into the garden, but instead took the sword that we deserve, took the sword so that we can enter in, so that we can come back home. Yeah. I mean, that's why he had to become man, because if man has to take the punishment for man's sins, then God had to become human Mm -hmm. in order to be able to, to take what's rightfully ours. Yeah. So we get to go back home and home is, we already have a taste of home. Home is the presence of the Lord. 
home is where God is. And where is God? Where is God right now? If you know Jesus, he's right there. He's right inside you. You could say that some something of home is in us. Well, here's an idea. If you've never seen me or Shauna before to just text us and let us know what you think we look like. (laughs) 800-968-8930. 800-968-8930. 741, here's Shauna. The Bible Project is a fantastic resource. If you've never checked it out, just Google The Bible Project. It's phenomenal. You can find tons of YouTube videos um, on YouTube as well, but there's like Advent devotionals, so much more. But yesterday I was at this site, The Bible Project, and I came across a great explanation of biblical hope. Now, if you were asked to describe a feeling of anticipation for a future that's better than the present, how would you describe it? A future that's better than the present. Mm-hmm. How, would you, how would you describe how you felt about that? Of anticipating? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, absolutely excited about that and yeah. and really wishing it would happen. Yeah. I might even say giddy, you know, but I think that's, that's what hope is. It's hopefulness is an anticipation of something that's not yet. And it's part of being human. If we had no hope, we wouldn't want to live anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's super, super important. And it's also really important part of the Bible itself. And the Bible has got two different words that when they use the word hope, if you read the word hope in English in your Bible, it's coming from one of two different places. The word you call is more about time. Like it says that Noah had to, you call for weeks. He had to wait on that boat. Well, rocked to find dry land. Okay. So that's the, you call kind of wait there. The other word is kava, which is more of an anticipation kind of waiting. It's like feeling the tension of waiting for something to happen. Like, you know, that, that where the air is charged and you're like, here it comes. That's how I felt as a kid hmm. waiting for Christmas morning because we made a huge thing out of it. My parents, you know, we, we didn't spend freely. You know, my parents were savers and, you know, we had five mouths to, to feed and, but they did have a Christmas fund. And so they went all out on Christmas. Mm. And so getting up on Christmas morning was magical, almost holy, really. Mm. Yeah. You know, seeing that tree and the presents just filling the living room. But at any rate, I, I, I thought, as a kid, man, I hope Jesus doesn't come back before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It yeah. could, there's no way Jesus could yeah. be better than Christmas morning. So I would say oh, to my fun. kids growing up, while they were growing up, I'd say, you know what? I know Christmas is coming, but if Jesus comes back, it's going to be like a thousand Christmas mornings. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, hope is is about waiting and it's about expectation and hope is all over the Bible, specifically the book of Psalms. Well, the people are waiting for God and they talk about this anticipation and this waiting, but biblical hope, let me tell you what biblical hope is not. There is a difference between things that we hope for on earth and biblical hope. Biblical hope isn't optimism. You know, I mean, optimism is basically like, I could see how things could come together for the good. And I could see how that could work out. Biblical hope isn't focused on your circumstances at all. So there's often no visible evidence that things could get better, but we hope anyway, right? So that means hope is not optimism. 
And it's God's faithfulness in the past that causes causes us to hope for his faithfulness in the future. That's what biblical hope is. That's good. God's faithfulness in the past, causing us to hope for God's faithfulness in the future as well. First Peter 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So hope is a person. Hope is a person. We have a living hope, not just a hope, a living hope. A person who is alive today. So biblical hope is a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that is as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. I mean, anything is possible when Mm -hmm. we hope in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Christian hope looks back at the risen Jesus in order to look forward to his return. And so we wait. And so we hope. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.